Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John in chapter number 5. The Gospel record of John in chapter number 5. We're now in a Sunday school series of dealing with the miracles of Christ. We have a theme of this upcoming year of with God all things are possible. And truly without a doubt our God is a miracle working God who has the ability to do so much. And as we approach this next year, our desire is to trust Him. To trust Him with the impossible prayers. To trust Him with the big prayers. To trust Him with the impossible things in our life and watch Him come through because He is a God who is able. And so what we're doing is in order to prepare for us this year, we're covering the Sunday School series of the miracles of Christ. And we're taking some of the miracles of Jesus Christ and seeing that there's a God who has great power and a God who has not run out of power, a God who is infinite in wisdom and knows what he's doing. And we now come to the third miracle that is mentioned within the life of Christ dealing in chronological order. And we find ourselves in the gospel record of John in chapter number five. The Gospel record of John chapter 5, and if you don't mind, look with me starting at verse number 1. The Gospel record of John chapter 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie... And knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the trouble is pooled, uh, <coughs> water is troubled, to put me in the pool. But when I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk. And he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, 
Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he'd done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered him, answered them, My father worketh here too, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of John? The Gospel record of John chapter number 5. And notice the question that Jesus asked this man in the Gospel record of John chapter 5 in verse number 6. Notice the phrase, Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? And with the Lord's help, we're going to hit this question here and studying the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, specifically the miracles here, as Jesus asked the question, wilt thou be made whole? Now in the context, we just ended up in John chapter 4, where it talked about the second miracle. In that second miracle, Jesus had been up near the Sea of Galilee. He had been healing. (coughs) He had that man that was healed. Uh, The son who was healed, remember that man had traveled, uh, excuse me, seven hours to go see Jesus Christ. And after traveling seven hours, he met with Jesus and and, uh, Jesus worked within his life to realize that this man had his own need of a savior. And Jesus said, go home, your son is made whole. He went home, traveled home, and found out that Jesus had healed him the same hour, but he had traveled seven hours. Well, after this, it came time where it was one of the feasts. There were three feasts every year that the Hebrew people came back to Jerusalem for. Many people believe that this was the Feast of Pentecost. And so Jesus had come back to Jerusalem during this time. Notice where he goes in verse number one. And there was after this a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. So Jesus comes and as he's at Jerusalem he goes by the sheep gate. The sheep gate is referred to in the book of Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the walls. They talk about where the different gates are at. The sheep gate was made so, (coughs) excuse me, so that way the sheep that would be carried into the temple for the sacrifice, this is where they would enter in at at the city. So that way they had their own store. So you didn't carry them all the way through the city and all the way through the streets and have some people get, uh, some of the sheep get lost or get in people's way. And so they would bring them in through the sheep gate. That was a gate that was pretty close to the temple. And outside of the gate here, you had a pool, which was called Bethesda. And in here lay a great multitude of people. A great multitude. People that had different infirmities. People that were blind. People that couldn't walk. People that had certain diseases. And they were all gathered about this this place. All waiting for one moment. One moment. And it was here that Jesus Christ comes. And out of this great multitude, he singles out one person. One person is who he pays attention to. One person is who he goes to in the midst of all of these people. And he comes and asks this one person, Will thou be made whole? 
And so if you don't mind, I'd like to take John chapter 5 and explore this weakness. And let's explore what occurs in the life of this man as he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus asks him this question, Wilt thou be made whole? The first thing I'd like to show you about this man that Jesus singled out in the midst of all of this multitude is his weakness. His weakness. Notice again with me in verse number 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. Now this, it doesn't tell us how old this man was, but he had a certain infirmity, and it doesn't explain exactly what it was, but it was something serious where he couldn't walk well, he couldn't move well. But he had been living with this disease for 38 years. That's a long time. It's probably longer than some of you have even existed but for 38 years, this man had suffered through this. Now, he probably hasn't been at the pool the whole time. The Bible doesn't mention that. All it says is that this man had, been, had had this disease, this infirmity, for 38 years. Here's a picture of someone with great weakness. Here's a picture of someone with great helplessness. Someone who could not do anything about his weakness. Someone who couldn't do anything about his infirmity. There was nothing he can do about it. He was helpless. He'd already probably seen all the doctors, had sought all the help he could, but nothing. No one could help him out. And so now you have outside of this city or in this little pool thing, every once in a while, an angel would come and stir this pool. Would just come and disturb the waters. And the first person in would be the one that would heal. So you could imagine people would be waiting. When's it going to happen? When's it going to be happen? You could imagine that so many people wanted to be gathered around the edge of the pool. So if you can imagine a big mass of people. All right, so which one of you are the fastest? You're the fastest, all right? Okay, and some of you may not be the fastest, maybe you're the smartest. Maybe some of you had, maybe some of you had some help, maybe something. But you can imagine just a big multitude of people and everyone's around this little pool and everyone's waiting for that moment. And so you don't want to be distracted. You don't want people to um, disturb you. You're just waiting for that one moment. And as soon as it stirs, action happens Maybe there's someone who jumps over everyone and dives in. Maybe there's someone who's just laying on the side, just rolls in. Maybe some other people had some friends and they were ready to pull them in. Maybe someone had rigged up a pulley system so he could get over everyone. And Whatever it was, everyone was waiting for that one moment. And the first person in, out of all those people, was the one to be healed. And so what you have here, it's not just a contest to see who's going to get a car or a contest to see who's going to get a vacation. These are people that are desperate. These are people that have been hurting for such a long time. These are people that have something they cannot heal themselves. And in the midst of this, you have a lot of people who have system. They have a friend. They have a plan. Maybe there's someone that's someone mobile. But there's plenty of people who were there who had no one. No one could help them. No friends. This is probably one of those guys in his weakness. He's outside. And when Jesus starts talking to him, notice if you don't mind the conversation in John chapter 5. Verse number 6. And when Jesus saw him lie, 
and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Will thou be whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. So can you imagine his frustration? He's come to the place where this is the only hope that he has, and it's not a guaranteed hope. Only one person is there that can be healed out of all that multitude. And here's a guy that you can imagine his frustration. 38 years he's been with this infirmity. Who knows how long he's been outside of the pool. But as soon as the pool is stirred because of his sickness, he's so slow, he's so infirm. He says, by the time I make it in there, it's already too late. Someone's already beat me. He says, there's no way I'm ever going to win this. There's no way I'm ever going to get in the water first. There's no way it's going to happen. Here's a man who's weak. He's desperate. He's frail. Has no hope. And then one day Jesus comes. And he asked him a question. He asked him a question that's a very serious question. So we start off by talking about his weakness. Seeing as a man, he's helpless. He cannot do it. His weakness. There's nothing he could do for himself. But then we see a second thing. His will. His will. Jesus comes and asks this question. And notice what this question says. Wilt thou be made Notice this, wilt thou? We see that he has to exercise his own will here. Do you want to be healed? And you may think in your mind, well, of course I want to be healed. Why wouldn't I want to be healed? But you know, there are some people that don't want to be healed. There are some people that enjoy the attention they get because of their infirmity. Maybe someone just has that limp and people go by and say, oh, are you hurting? Are you all right? Oh, I'll be fine. I'll make it. And they enjoy the attention that they have. They don't want to be healed. There are some people that <clears throat> get to the place where they like to pet their, their infirmity. They like to, oh, it will be all right. And, and, and they, if you could forgive the idea, they enjoy being hurt. They enjoy being sick. It may sound foreign, but there are some people that get to the place where they enjoy that pity. They enjoy petting that. and There are some people that actually enjoy being depressed. If that sounds kind of strange, but you know, have you ever been in a mood where you just want to be grumpy? There's times you do that. I know I shouldn't be grumpy, but I want to be grumpy. Have you ever been in the flesh and you want to be in the flesh? I know I shouldn't be in the flesh, but I want to be. There are sometimes that people can get used to being sick and they want to be sick. It just becomes a frame of mind. It becomes something where they're so used to it and it's the lifestyle they've adapted that that's how they are. They could get better if they wanted to, but they have no motivation to get better. They have no will to get better. Maybe there's someone that has a sin in their life. And they know they shouldn't do that sin. They know that it's causing consequences. They know it's affecting their life. But they have no will to get rid of that sin. No will to get rid of it. No will to change their life. Sometimes we look at someone and say, it's so easy for your life to be fixed. Why wouldn't you? They have no desire. We worked with a family years ago. 
that each of them had, um, the dad was about 400 pounds, the daughter was 500 pounds, and the uh, son was 700 pounds. And we worked with them, and uh, when we had first met them, they hadn't left their house in uh, three years. Just, they had no motivation. We started to try to get them to church just to get them out of the house and started working with them. And we started to ask uh, the kids who were about in their 30s, they said, what happens if dad dies? How do, what do you want to do with your life? You know, we offer them anything that we would teach them. They didn't finish their GED. All right, well, let's start there. I'm a teacher. I've taught high school for a while. I could help you get your GED. Hey, they said, well, I don't know what I could do. Well, can you type? Can we teach you how to type? So that way you could have us do something. We're willing to help you. And unfortunately, they had no will. They didn't want to do anything. They were content where they were at. And there are some people that just get content where they're at. And so this is why Jesus asked the question, wilt thou be made whole? Is this something you want? Do you really want to be fixed? Do you really want to do something with your life? Do you really want this? Do you really want your sickness to be healed? Jesus asked, wilt thou be made whole? We know that there, when Jesus gives us this option, we have to respond for our will. One thing dealing with salvation, which is kind of the similar track we're running on, is that God doesn't force anyone to get saved. He doesn't twist anybody's arm and say, listen here, you're going to heaven whether you want to or not. It's a gift. It's a gift that you have to willingly receive. Will you have it? For example, Christmas time is right around the corner. And let's say that one of you had, uh, there's a gift under the tree. And you know what it is. And you know it's something you want it. And you know it's something that someone sacrificed to give it to you. And so Christmas day opens up comes and it's time to open up the presents and someone hands you that present you say oh goody and you say you know what I don't feel like I'm worthy to open this up I think I'll, I'll set it aside well the person who gave it to you they don't want you to wait for later what do they want you to do they want to see you open it up they don't want you to see nicely open up the paper they want you to tear it open they want you to look at it they want to see your face when you receive it but someone says, I, I, you know, I really haven't been that good this year. And so I don't feel like I'm worthy to open. I think I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to wait. What I'm going to do is I'm going to wait till spring. And I'm going to mow your lawn every couple days. Until finally I feel like I, I'm able to open this up. Until I feel like I've earned it. That's not what the person who gave you the present. They want you to open up. They don't want you to earn it. They gave it to you. Maybe you could say, you know, I could tell this is expensive. And I, I don't want just to... Uh, to be in debt by someone, you know, I'm going to wait till I earn enough money. And I know that I have to get a job first. But one day I'm going to earn enough money and I'm going to set this present aside here until I finally feel like I've paid enough to kind of feel worthy to open it up. Is that what the person who gave you the present wants? No, they gave it to you. They want to open it up, but you have to be willing to open it up. And there are people that have excuses from time to time of why they don't want to receive the gift. Why they don't want to be whole. So Jesus says, wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Will this be something you say, yes, I will. I am willing to receive that gift. I am willing to accept what you're giving me, Jesus. That's what this man was looking 
for. Jesus had provided. He was willing to heal this man. And he was willing to do it freely without any kind of uh, quid pro quo. Without any kind of exchange. He says, I'll give this to you. Will you take it? And the response for this man was yes. Now when he said yes, did, was that a work of his own? No, it was a decision he made. Jesus did all the work. The man didn't do anything to be healed. He just accepted that gift. The same thing's true about salvation, by the way. To get saved, you don't have to do anything but be willing to accept that gift that Jesus gave to you. It must be something that you are willing to do. Am I willing to do this? So we start off with this man's weakness. That this is someone who could not do it himself. He was someone who could not heal himself. He was someone that had no hope. There was nothing he can do to make himself better. He just could not make it. But he came face to face with Jesus who came to him. And asked him a simple question. Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou? Will you receive this? Which now comes to a third thing here. As we explore this man, we start off with his weakness, then we come up with his will, and then after this we see his walk. We see his walk. Notice this in verse number 7. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the water, but while I'm coming, another steppeth before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So notice this. Jesus, the, as the man responded to Jesus, Jesus said, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. Here we say here, <coughs> excuse me. Why did this man walk? Why did he rise up? Because he was healed. So this man had been carrying his bed. You can imagine a cot. So he's carrying a cot outside or someone had laid a cot down. He's been laying on this cot. You can imagine that there's a multitude around and when the water is stirred, he has to get off this cot and maybe roll or get into the water. But he's been laying on this cot. And now Jesus says, rise up, grab your bed, walk. And so he gets up and he grabs his cot, grabs his bed. Maybe it's a bed roll and he picks it up. And walks away. He couldn't do that at the beginning. But now Jesus made him whole. Why does he grab his cot and walk? Because he is healed. What we see here is his walk. Was evidence. That he was made whole. It was something on display. For everyone to see. People had been around him. He's been sick for 38 years. Could you imagine someone. Right beside him. Hearing this conversation. And he gets up off the bed, grabs his cot, and begins to walk up. And the person next to him looks and goes, wait, wait a second here. I've been hanging out with this guy for weeks. I've been talking with him. He hasn't been able to move or do anything. And now he's walking away. Wouldn't that be an amazing sight? Something happened that day. It wasn't just words. Something happened in that man to make him whole. And now he is walking Notices the story goes on. Verse number 9. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now we start to run into something. 
On the Sabbath day, the Hebrew people have actual rules about what you can do and what is considered work. For example, the Orthodox Hebrew people today consider turning on and off a light switch is considered work. And so for them, before sun is set on Friday, remember for the Hebrew people that the, um, their day begins on sundown, that what you would have to do is go throughout the house and either turn on the lights or turn off the lights, and they would remain that way for over 24 hours because you weren't allowed to turn it on and off the light switch. Well, that sounds kind of complicated, right? How many of you just turn on and off light switch without even thinking about it? For them, they have to plan for it. But it even gets worse for them because inside of the refrigerator, it has a light. And if you open up a refrigerator, the light goes on, that is considered work. And for an Orthodox Jew who follows all the commentaries and all of their things, that's work. And if their refrigerator light goes on, they have broken the Sabbath. Well, that's pretty complicated stuff, isn't it? So you know what they have to do is that before sundown on Friday, they have to go into the refrigerator, unscrew the light bulb just enough so it doesn't turn on, and for the all day Friday night, and then all day on Saturday, they would have to have no light in the refrigerator, which makes it difficult if you want a midnight snack, right? But for them, that, that, for something like that, we don't consider turning on a light bulb work at all. But for them, that's a big deal. So could you imagine how much of a big deal it was for them? They considered this man grabbing up his cot, grabbing up his bed, and walking away. They considered that work. And instead of seeing this man healed, they look and say, look at this guy. He's breaking the law. He is wrong. Well, is he wrong? Well, let's see what the Bible says about this. So they confront him. Verse number 10. The Jews therefore said, Unto him that was cured. It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. By the way that's what religion does. Religion is a list of do's and don'ts. And it restricts people. It burdens people. Here's a man that had an encounter with Jesus. He's made whole. And for the first time in 38 years. He is able to pick up his own bed. And walk. He's not worrying about the law. He's grateful that he's healed. But someone comes and confronts them. Nope, you didn't obey this rule and you didn't do this right. And let me tell you, we're really upset that you did this. Isn't it always that way when you get excited about someone, something? Someone comes with all these wet blankets to put out that fire. Make you miserable after hearing, seeing this great victory. Verse number 11. He answered them, he that made me whole... The same take unto me, take up thy bed and walk. He says, I was just being obedient to what I was told. I wasn't worried about all the laws and restrictions. I was just obedient to the one who healed me. And I just did what he told me. Verse number 12. Then they asked him, what man is, it, is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So when the man picked up his bed and walked, he looked around and Jesus was already gone. He just saw the multitude and he just said, I'm healed. And he walked away. So later it said, who was it that told you? He looks around and says, I don't see him. I don't know who it is. I can't point him out to you. I didn't grab his name. That wasn't part of the conversation. Verse number uh, 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come to him. 
And what we see in verse 14, when Jesus said, thou were made whole, he's not just talking about his physical. Jesus had also healed him spiritually. He'd been forgiven of his sins. He'd been washed away. He's now cleansed. In fact, he knew that. That's why the man is now in the temple. He's in the temple praising God and worshiping God and thanking God for what has happened. He's excited about what things are. He's grateful to God. And so Jesus finds him and says, let me tell you, you've been made whole all the way. Just don't sin anymore. You go forth. Live your life. Verse number 15, and the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus. So he goes back out and those guys said, hey, did you figure out who did it yet? He said, yeah, it was Jesus. Oh, that Jesus guy. We're tired of hearing about him. <laughs> and verse 16, therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now, isn't that a weird thing? Jesus healed this guy, but instead of everybody celebrating, all they see instead of Jesus' good works, he broke the law. He didn't do what we expected him to do. How dare he do that? So they began to come up with a plan. Later, Jesus has a confrontation with him, verse 17. And Jesus answered them, My father worketh here too, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And what you're going to see from this point on in the gospel record of John is this reoccurring thing. That Jesus will teach something, then all of a sudden all the Hebrew people start picking up stones. And they get ready to throw it. Jesus says, time out. Before you start stoning me, I want to know, why are you going to kill me? Because you said you're going to be God. Okay, just wanted to hear you say it. All right, time back in. Over and over, he would pause and tell them, why are you going to kill me? Because you said you're God. Okay, just making sure everyone knew that's what I was saying and that's what you understood. Aren't you glad that Jesus is God? And so what we see here is an individual. Out of a multitude of people that need to be healed, Jesus was able to care about one person. That should encourage us because we know there's billions of people in this world. But Jesus cares about you as an individual. And he knows about your life. He knows about your infirmities. He knows what you can do and what you can't do. More importantly, he knows about you inside of here. He knows that the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. Because we've broken the law. Because we've disobeyed our folks. Because we've told a lie. We all deserve death. But Jesus finished off that verse in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus loved us so much that he came on this earth, robed himself in flesh, and dwelt among us. He lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. Then he died to pay the price that you and I owed him. And what's more is he did it for free. It says for the gift of God. And just like Jesus talked to that man, he asked the question, Will thou be made whole? The question that Jesus asked is, Will you accept this free gift? And you, by your own choice and by your own will, have to accept that gift. Jesus does all the work, but you have to be willing to accept that gift. The moment that you do that, you are made whole. You are washed free of all of your sins. What a wonderful thing that Jesus did for us that day. But afterwards, our salvation, our healing, is going to be evidenced by our walk. That when you walk, and walk the way that you should, it is evidence of what Christ has done within you. 
It should be proof to everyone else there's something different in me. Let me tell you the greatest evidence that the Bible is true. The greatest evidence that what we say about biblical Christianity is true. Is the evidence of a changed life. That when you have a changed life it is proof that God did something in me. Let me tell you if something as big as God comes to live into something as small as my heart, there's going to be some changes. God is going to make me a new creature, the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm now a new creature. All things are new. The old things have passed away. God has done something in me. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. Sometimes people can make a profession of faith but have no evidence of a changed life. Let me tell you, every person who accepts that gift will have an evidence of a changed life. And we as Christians, as we have the walk that we ought to, what it is is a display for everyone else that something happened to me. My walk is going to be evidence of something that had happened to me that I was made whole. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.